Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. The following broadcast has been approved for Elite Hornets fans. What a block by Cody Zeller. Walker down the lane. Drive, shoots, scores! Game over! Bringing back the buzz is only the beginning. We will not go quietly into the night. It's Hornets talk for the hardcore fan. It's Hive Talk Live. Welcome in, Hornets fans. You are listening to Hive Talk Live Thursdays, brought to you by ESPN 730, right here on AtTheHive.com. It's Hornets Talk for the hardcore fan. We are live in the Gittimer.com studios in BEA, beautiful uptown Charlotte. I'm Doug Branson. Joining me is Justin Thomas, who is having a little trouble with his microphone. That's okay. We'll tighten it up there. Yeah, I, I don't know what's going on over <laughs> here, but you know, thank you for saving the day. Um, it's a nice day in the city of Charlotte. Um, the Hornets are up 3-2, and we'll have some good stuff to talk about. So how are you? Um, well, listen, I'm amazing because the, the city is alive and the, the fans are, even though I, I think a lot of fans are still focused on the draft. I mean, you know, I, I live in reality. I live in a world where the NFL rules all. I was listening to sports radio today and the coverage was NFL dominant, but that's okay because I think, again, it's all about winning a series. You win three games, that's fine. You got to win that fourth one. You know, the Hornets have never won a seven-game series. The series that they've won were pre-seven-game first-round series. So they've won some first-round series, but those were all five-game series. So this would be monumentous if they could pull this off against Miami uh, for a variety of reasons. We got a big show ahead. We've got Justin Verrier from ESPN.com with his thoughts from practice today and and his thoughts on Game Five and Game Six. Also, uh, Daniel Coughlin from At the Hive, one of our newest writers, will be on. He's going to give us a look into the uh, Toronto Indiana series. This is the matchup, of course, that will determine uh, who the winner of the Hornets Heat matchup ends up facing in the second round so we wanted to check in briefly on what's going on there we'll also talk a little bit about this series with Daniel as well and of course we will give our thoughts on game five and game six you can listen to us every Tuesday and Thursday while we're still in season at six o'clock p.m. right here on HiveTalkLive.com. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast aggregator to get shows uploaded to your mobile device of choice. And with that, we've got some news to get to, so let's get into it. Let's swarm Charlotte. As I said, a couple of uh, breaking news bites out of a practice today. Spencer Hawes listed as doubtful with a knee sprain injury. That's certainly a surprise. He played 
nearly 15 minutes and played into the fourth quarter of Game 5 against Miami in Miami. So, But again, he's listed as doubtful. We will ask Justin Verrier from ESPN.com coming up here at 620 about that injury and its effect. Also, uh, getting this from Twitter, Game 7, they've released the tip time for a potential Game 7 between Charlotte and Miami. Of course, that would be in Miami, the tip time. Justin, 1 p.m. We know how the Hornets have reacted to weird tip times, to afternoon tip times. It's not great. It's not a great sign there. Great. I don't Pathetic, maybe. Awful. Well, they haven't they haven't played well. That's for sure. It's, it's. I guess we'll just leave it that we don't want too much negativity today. I guess we'll just say not great. We're ultra light beams, all positive vibes. Yeah, go night great. Um, teal and purple T-shirts will be given out, of course, at Game Six again. But the split is a little different than it was. They had kind of a few rows teal, few rows purple, all up and down the arena for Games Three and Four. They are switching it up for Game 6, so if you are attending Game 6 and you want to find out, am I getting a teal shirt, am I getting a purple shirt, head on over to Twitter, and uh, we tweeted, our last tweet was uh, on that subject. We have a little uh, arena map and everything, so you can find out uh, where exactly uh, you are and what t-shirt you would get. Okay. Next, let's get into the Game 5 recap. This was, uh, of course, the Hornets win 90-88. to uh, First quarter, Miami begins with an 8-2 run and a Hornets a timeout. Uh, D- Justin, almost called you David, sorry about that. Justin, are you worried about the starters getting off to another shaky start? I'm not. Um, I, I think it, one thing about the Hornets, I feel like sometimes they they come out they come out prepared but I would say sometimes just going through the motions. And I think sometimes it takes for them to get hit in the mouth every now and then. And then they, oh, okay, well, I guess it's time for us to start playing basketball. So I'm not too worried about that. And plus, they know the severity of this game tomorrow night. It's going to be a, it's going to be a packed crowd. They know they can get to the second round. A lot of these guys don't have big game playoff experience. So I can see why that could be a reason of concern or if they say on first take a cause to pause. But... Clifford's going to have them ready. Are you I okay? Are you okay now that Skip Bayless won't be on your favorite television show anymore? How you doing? Um Skip is is a is a phenomenal writer. One of the best to ever do it. He just takes weird angles. So, I can't really knock him cuz they're all opinionated, but he's great for TV. He pushes the meter. He'll be missed, but he's joining my guy Colin Cowherd on Fox Sports. So, you know, I'll definitely have oh, to tune man. in those you, two guys. You, just, you, love, you love the big personalities, and that's I, good because you're a big personality. That's where we con. You know, I think we have a lot of new listeners who may not know a lot about this show or its history, but, you know, we, we are trying to do sports radio a little bit differently. We, we Different. go in depth a little bit uh, more than I think, especially on the Hornets, than, than some other outlets and we're proud of that, and and our discussion is normally reasoned. We don't like to get in. We're a little anti first take, I think, and that we don't like to get into any kind of shouting yeah. matches. Nobody um, needs that. But we still we still have a good time because basketball's fun. And this game, this game five was fun, and it got fun in the first quarter when the three point shot started falling again. Marvin Williams got a three to go down. Kimball Walker got a three to go down. Uh, Lee, I believe, hit a three in that first quarter. It was nice to see the ball go through the basket again, was it not, Justin? I was shocked. 
because, you know, the, through this series, Miami has been dedicated. They've been dedicated to running Charlotte off the three. Don't give them those looks. And you think, okay, this is a big game for Miami. You know, they're, they're coming out. They need to win this game, protect home court. And the one time they say, you know, we've really been keeping you guys out of the paint. Let's see if you guys can hit some jump shots. And one thing I can say is I feel like Charles just been confident because you you have to be confident to play well. And I think, you know, you're just going through shoot around and you say, okay, we're going to get some shots to fall. But this time they were getting them and knocking them down. If I'm not mistaken, was it 12 for 24? 50% from the field. 50% you from the field. You shoot 50% from three. You're going to have a chance to Five win. different Hornets hit multiple three-pointers, so it was definitely a team effort uh, from the three-point line. And I think you're right, Justin. You're dead on. The Heat decided, okay, we can't completely give the lane to Kemba Walker and Jeremy Lin. It, it was hurting the Miami defense, and, and I think it was hurting their morale. It was making them uncomfortable to give up that many points in the paint. And so they made a concerted effort in Game 5 to take away the paint, and that opened some things up for the Hornets. I thought in the first quarter the threes came more from getting the ball to Frank through penetration and and getting the ball to Jefferson, and, and he hit a couple of guys for some three-point looks. But I, I am more encouraged by the 24 attempts than I am the 12 makes because the, the, the way the Heat defense was set up, the Hornets couldn't even get attempts. And to get makes, you have to get attempts. I mean, that's it's sort of a ridiculous thing to say, but you have to get into a rhythm early. You have to be able to hit or, or at least take the shots early for them to fall down late, and they were able to do that in Game 5. Let's fast forward to the second quarter. we got to talk about the bench play. It's, it's come through in a huge way for the second game in a row now. The Hornets bench... Uh, outscored the Miami bench 29-13. to Both Josh McRoberts and Gerald Green were held scoreless for Miami. And Justin, I thought the Cody Zeller-Spencer Hawes combo did a great job of defending rim runs by those smaller lineups. They sort of sagged back, sat in the lane, and those Justice Winslow drives, they weren't as effective as they had been in previous games. They, you know, you have to let guys shoot in that, in that, um, in, in that instance, if you're going to sag back like that. But luckily for the Hornets, the shooting in Miami for Game 5 by guys like Goran Dragic and Justice Winslow and guys who don't normally hit three-pointers, luckily, and even Ding, I thought, was cold in that first half, those shots didn't fall for Miami like they did in Game 1 and Game 2, thankfully. But the bench has been huge. Everybody talks about depth. Yeah, you you got to have depth. You got to have depth. Well, everybody everybody's going to have eight to nine guys. You know, on the bench, but I don't mean you have depth because half of them you don't really have you don't have any trust in. But Spencer Haas, Cody Zeller, Jeremy Lin, these Nick guys, Batum off the bench. Nick Batum. I mean, that's a that's who, a huge asset to have off the bench. Played twenty five minutes. And what I loved about Batum playing is is everybody was tweeting Batum didn't look right, and of course he's not going to look right. His foot probably still hurts, but as a competitor, you want him out there, and. I think Charlotte, Charlotte's rising. They know. I, I talked to Marvin about this. I talked to Courtney about this. They knew if they were going to have a chance to win this series, they were going to have to win one on the road. They got off to the shaky start, and and I, I saw some tweets, and people were a little discouraged, but there was a sense of poise. Miami was making runs, and they were making runs. Charlotte didn't panic. There, there were times where they didn't play too well in little stretches, 
But there, it was almost like, okay, guys, we know they're going to make a run. Yeah, you but I we're mean, prepared you, for this. In the regular season, you rarely see teams that aren't dominant teams like Golden State and, and San Antonio and, and Cleveland and the like. You don't see teams go wire to wire on a team on the road. Well, in the playoffs, that amps up even higher because you have crowd noise and the, the, the home team's going to feed off that. The away team is going to be discouraged by that. And so you rarely see a wire-to-wire victory on the road. And so you have to be able to respond to the home team's runs. And, and of course, they had one. Miami had a, a 10 to nothing run in that second quarter and got, or excuse me, in the third quarter and got the Hornets on their heels. And they really turned up that pick and roll defense in the third quarter. The Hornets missed 11 field goals in a row in that third quarter. It was a combo, I thought, Justin, of a poor shot selection, rushed possessions, turnovers, and second chances not falling for the Hornets. And, you know, I thought some of that poor shot selection caused by Miami's defense deciding to deny the rim. They essentially, I mean, I thought they still stayed aggressive on the three-point line. They were still doing a good job of of closing out on shooters. They weren't necessarily doing what we saw in games one and two where they stayed home on Marvin Williams all the time, but they were still aggressively closing out. I think the difference is they decided to protect the paint and make that a priority and it forced guys like Kemba and Jeremy Lin into this mid-range game, and Courtney Lee, too, who missed a couple of uh, mid-range shots. And you had guys like Kemba and Courtney who were two of two from beyond the arc. Kemba, for a while there, his only makes, he was three of 12 and was three of three from beyond the arc. Like Their only makes were, were coming from three, and it, it certainly saved the Hornets in some respects but you you want it you especially when you look ahead to game 6 they have to be able to knock something down closer to the basket it is i it was a, the third quarter it wasn't it wasn't too pretty at all and they always say with the old cliche defense travels when nothing else does you're watching that game and you're like man these these guys can't can hit a shot right now and usually Sometimes when when you don't hit shots, it lags over to the defensive end and and guys start to get discouraged and guys aren't closing out and guys aren't getting to their rotations. That didn't happen. That did not happen. They understood like, hey, we're going through a tough stretch right now. We We can't buy baskets right now. And it went to just that composure, that poise. They stayed at it on the defensive end. They stayed at it because usually, if I if I tell you, you know, the, the Hornets, you know, miss like eleven shots, you're gonna be like, oh god, did somebody run him out the building? That wasn't the case. That wasn't the case. Despite the shots not falling, they stayed engaged. I was listening to something today. Um, it was one of the ESPN uh, basketball podcasts, and they were like, you know, if if you just think about it, it, just looked like the Hornets wanted it more. You had Cody Zeller. He flew over. He flew into the crowd one time. You had Kimball Walker running to the bench to save a ball. Like when you watched that game, there was almost a, a sense of desperation that you saw because you looked at Miami and it was almost like Miami. They weren't playing bad, but you was like, uh, you kind of felt like, okay, they're gonna get down. They're gonna they're gonna come in a stretch late in the game where they feel like they're gonna win it. But I felt like the entire game, despite when those shots were falling, when those shots when they were falling and weren't falling, Charlotte was they were just there. Like, on rotations to hustle plays to effort, it was all there. Yeah, there there are a couple of changes that I see from the regular season Hornets to the playoff Hornets, and that's it's that this team after Game Two, they haven't let Miami's defense affecting their offense affect 
their defense. I know that sounds confusing, but Miami has done a great job of making the Hornets' offense uncomfortable. They haven't let that leak into their own defense. They've been able to stay with the defensive principles since Game 2 that that Clifford is preaching and adjusting to on the fly. Uh, And the second change, I think, is that even when the shots aren't falling for Kemba Walker or Jeremy Lin, both of these guys getting involved in terms of uh, facilitating. And in this game five, Kemba Walker had five assists, Jeremy Lin seven assists. And Lord, seven assists doesn't really tell the story because some of these passes by Jeremy Lin uh, during that uh, during that stretch, I think in the in the late second quarter when they went on a big run and got up ten. Uh, some of those passes were pretty electric. The, the no look to Marvin uh, cutting to the lane on, on sort of a secondary break situation. And there were just several just delicious, delicious dimes by Jeremy Lin. Hey, I got a question for you, Justin. Talk to me. Are, <laughs> are you ready to apologize for saying that Jeremy Lin couldn't guard a stick? Because I think he's he's done more than his fair share of, of decent defending in this in this series. He does. I'm a I'm a humble man. I'm a humble man. He didn't. And, and what made it worse is he didn't look good in those two games. I mean, he couldn't guard Wade. He, he just he just he just weren't doing anything on the defensive end. Well, neither was Courtney Lee. Courtney yeah. Lee struggled hey, as well. Both, both, both of, them of them were getting yeah. buckets scored on them. Buckets on the head. And you know, I don't know. I wish I was big time enough for somebody to say, "Hey, man, you hear this guy Justin said this, this, and this," because not only did the people let me know on Twitter about it, but they came out on the, on the court. And they played well on the defensive side of the ball. So Courtney Lee, Jeremy Lin, my condolences. Oops, I said that backwards. <laughs> yeah, they should be. They, yeah, you're the one that got buried. I think they I, should be giving you condolences. I was thinking it. I was like, oh, that, that didn't come out right. But <laughs> fellas, you guys have proved me wrong, um, and I'll eat those words. And they just have to keep it up because Miami, you can, you can bet on this. Miami is going to throw everything that they have offensively everything. at Charlotte. Everything. In Game Six I think in that. Charlotte, well, let's talk about the fourth quarter. Uh, Batum got it going, and and I I've been saying over and over that the reason you need Nick Batum back in this series is because you're going to be down in the middle of the fourth quarter, on the road, desperately need a bucket, and Nick Batum is the guy that can go out there. He's got ice water in his veins. Again, he's been playing professional ball since he was 13 years old. Nothing phases this. But when you talk to him, you get that sense. You've talked to him several times. You get this sense that nothing's going to phase this guy. He's seen it all, and 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 he's just stone. He's just stone faced, and he's even keel, and he played like it, hitting two big threes in that seven to four minute stretch in the fourth quarter. Got the lead back for the Hornets. And then it all led to that final sequence, uh, which was a pretty, pretty, a pretty wild sequence. You had, of course, Courtney Lee getting the big offensive rebound that turned into uh, a three-pointer for Courtney Lee from above the break. It didn't look; it kind of looked a little awkward because he shot it so quickly. But boy, it went down smooth, and he felt it the entire way. That was a pretty exciting. Uh, that was a pretty exciting play. And then, of course, they had to get one more defensive stop. And there was Courtney Lee helping to shut down Dwayne Wade, at least on the initial attack. Ball goes to Goran Dragic in the corner. I don't think Dragic was hitting that three anyway. Kemba blocks it on a great recovery. And then Wade going up. The entire Miami Heat fan base thought that Cody Zeller fouled. But according to the reviews that happened for all of these games that are close in the last two minutes, the NBA officials release a last two-minute report and go through foul by foul 
whether it was a correct non-call or a correct call or an incorrect call. And the official report came out and they said, the NBA said, that was a correct non-call. Cody Zeller went vertical and, you know, that he didn't initiate the contact. And that was a good, uh, good instance of the referees eating the whistle. Steve Clifford, after the game, said, I didn't have a good angle on it. So (laughs) I, I still think it was a foul. It was. I, I don't. Was I mean, fun. obviously, as a fan, I'm 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 excited at the way the game turned out. As just a somebody who analyzes basketball, I don't I don't necessarily agree with what the NBA saw on their second review. And I know it's silly for you know me to question this review, but I, I just think that um, you know I just I think that it, it, Cody got away with one because he he landed. You know, you say he went vertical, but he landed in a far different place than he started. And to me, that means he shifted his body. Now, maybe I could get on this argument that Dwayne Wade initiated uh, the contact, but I don't know about the other. But uh, real quickly, we got to get uh, to the phone lines on the Hive Talk Live. We'll go back to this, though, I promise. No, we have to. We have to, because I haven't even gotten Justin's thought on this yet. Uh, but we have to go to the Hive Talk Live hotline where the other Justin is standing by, Justin Verrier from ESPN.com. Justin, welcome back to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Justin, I want to start with this news about Spencer Hawes. You tweeted out some injury news about Hawes. Can you update the listeners on his status for Game 6? Yeah, so uh, I'm broadcasting right now live from outside of Best Buy as I uh, as I tried to find an iPhone cable uh, since I left mine in Miami, and I just got an update that says that uh, he has the MCL sprain in his right knee, uh, and he will be out for tomorrow's game and reevaluated in, in one week. So well, obviously a big blow there for the Hornets. Uh, yeah, obviously a big blow because he played uh, nearly 15 minutes and, and got some fourth quarter run in game six. Was there any kind of indication after the game that, that anything had happened? You know, I hadn't necessarily seen a play uh, that might have led to that. Uh, I know I saw him wincing in the locker room. Uh, and it looked like he might have been, you know, teary-eyed or, or was affected by something. I wasn't really sure what was happening uh, in the locker room. Things could get a little crazy. And, uh, you know, we're scrambling for, for certain guys, certain story angles. And uh, I remember one of the, uh, the Miami Herald reporters who were sitting, sitting next to me after the game was saying, oh, did you see what happened with Spencer? And I was like, what? Um, so I didn't see anything happen specifically. Uh, we didn't ask about him at practice today. Uh, because, I mean, we only really knew uh, officially about Cody uh, Zeller and Nick Batum, um, but I, I'm hoping to get some clarification tomorrow uh, with Steve Clifford. Well, let's just talk about Spencer Hawes and his impact on Game 5. I, I, I just rewind back to Game 4, and he led the Hornets in rebounding off the bench. But from what you saw in Game 5, what kind of impact was Spencer Hawes making as as a as a ninth man as a reserve yeah i think he was really important to uh, what they were doing last game i think as you guys saw um the heat were going smaller with uh, i think josh mcroberts at the five at certain points uh and you know steve clifford countered in a really surprising way by by staying big maybe even getting a little bit bigger with spencer uh next to cody at times um and it, it's really something that that steve has been kind of uh, emphasizing as he's gone along with the series. He said after the first two games that uh, he wanted to get a little bigger, not necessarily in the front court to pair against Whiteside, uh, but maybe against some of those taller, bigger wings 
uh, that the Miami Heat have. And what he was saying to us was basically on the pick and rolls, uh, it allows them to kind of push white side and, and, and push the action up a little bit further uh, toward the, uh, to, to the three-point arc as opposed to allowing him getting catches toward the rim. Um, and with Spencer, you know, you get the best of both worlds uh, where he could, he could flash out to the three-point line. Uh, Steve even mentioned this, you know, they're essentially playing with the ability to be five out at times uh, in game five. So I think he, he provides this sort of versatility that, you know, Steve Clifford loves and, and it was really effective uh, in that last game, as you saw. Justin, I want to ask you if you could uh, do a little foreshadowing for me. For the, since Clifford made right. the adjustment to go bigger, there usually been two bigs on the floor, you know, at a time. With Spencer going down, do you envision Tyler Hansbrough getting a little bit of run? Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, you know, I think one of the big parts of, of why Spencer got the call was because he was able to stretch a little bit. Uh, obviously, Cody Zeller uh, and Al Jefferson even can give you a little bit of pop there. Cody, way more than, than Al, I would probably say. Um, but I think to put two bigs out there at the same time who can't really flash out to the three-point line might be too much of an adjustment from what, uh, from what he kind of wants to do with his team. Uh, you know, it's funny. I was actually watching pregame warm-ups the other day. and I can't remember who else was on the floor. I think it was Marvin Williams because he's always the first guy out there. Uh, but Tyler Hansrow was going around the three-point arc and shooting it a little bit. You can see where the development may be go- heading toward, but I just don't think he's there yet. I think it might be a stretch to, to really put him more at the five. And so you might start seeing the Hornets go a little bit smaller, maybe uh, more toward what they had been with the starting unit uh, in the regular season which may have some repercussions on how successful they've been in this series. Here with Justin Verrier from ESPN.com. Justin, uh, let's uh, go back to uh, this final sequence in Game 5. Take us through your notes. How were the Hornets able to overcome that lackluster third quarter and steal this game in Miami? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I've been saying this to people all the time. All day, like we at the uh, at the arena when everybody was kind of clearing out, and it was just a few of us left. Uh, we were looking at the box score and like, how did how did the Hornets win this game? As you mentioned, I think it was the worst offensive quarter uh, of the series for the Charlotte Hornets. I think they shot like twenty six percent. I think it was uh, I can't remember the points. I think it might have been sixteen or seventeen. Uh, it, it was just brutal. Um, but you know, they kind of came back doing. Uh, the things that have allowed them to be successful thus far, uh, the, the minor details is what I keep coming back to. Uh, they had two turnovers, which is, you know, a little bit higher, actually, for, for the Hornets. But still, uh, they played, them, played the Heat even in that category, uh, played them even in the rebounding category. They popped off for, I think, four three-pointers that quarter, uh, which, you know, they'd obviously had some struggles getting that off uh, against the Heat defense kind of uh, positioned in order to take that away. And then you saw uh, with the Courtney Lee rebound, offensive rebound off of that huge possession there, uh, you know, they were doing those little things uh, in order to win the game, whereas maybe Miami didn't. And so that's what I would say at this point is the difference in the series. That's really close. And as you guys know, they finished with the same record. So those little things are going to go a long way. The Hornets now one went away from going to the second round for the first time since 2002. 
Uh, you were at practice today, Justin. Are they feeling? Is anyone feeling any pressure to get this victory in Game Six in Charlotte in front of the home crowd and stay out of Miami in this weird one o'clock p.m. tip time that they, they seem to always struggle with in that potential Game Seven? Yeah, you know, you you can maybe see a, a little bit. I mean, this is probably the biggest game in Charlotte Hornets history since you know the reboot. You know, since two thousand four. Uh, Steve Clifford, obviously, he's going to preach, you know, the same thing he's going to be preaching and has been preaching for this entire playoffs, just executing as opposed to making any sort of big adjustments. Uh, obviously, his hand might be forced there a little bit, again, with Spencer Hawes going out, um, just like it was with Nick Batum. He was re- reluctant to really put Hal Jefferson in the starting lineup, and then all of a sudden he really didn't have a choice. Um so, yeah, I mean, but it's funny. Someone even asked Jeremy Lin, you know, what it's like to be in this position. He, he kind of had to say, well, you know, I've been in playoff games, but I haven't exactly been in closeout games on on the other hand where he's the one able to close it out. Uh, Kemba Walker obviously hasn't either. We talked to him today. And and so, yeah, that, I think you might start to see uh, a little bit of the experience showing. Maybe they might uh, press a little bit more than, than you're used to seeing. Uh, but I think it's really big that this game happens to come at home where they've been great and, you know, the Heat have been really poor on the road uh, pretty much not only in this playoffs but in the regular season. Justin, Kimball Walker and, and Jeremy Lin have, have both had success getting into the paint, creating, scoring, dishing, all types of things. Would you say that is a product of them just being crafty and nifty ball handlers or Goran Dragic and Josh Richardson just really having a tough time dealing with them on defense? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, I would say more on Dragic than, than necessarily uh, Josh Richardson. I think Richardson has really done a, a good job at times there. Um, but I think it also has to deal with, uh, you know, the pick and roll defense that they're, they're kind of showing there and just the overall defense that the Heat are kind of employing. Um, as I mentioned before, you know, the Heat, defenders are really hugging on to or they had been hugging on to uh the the hornets perimeter shooters just because the three-pointer had been such a big part of the offense in the regular season top 10 offense first time uh in the steve clifford era as a result of that and so miami obviously took that away which left the, the rim defense a lot on hassan Whiteside's shoulders and it was, i mean you could look at it this way it's pretty much like steve clifford was daring anybody who might have voted for Hassan Whiteside for Defensive Player of the Year or, or even on the all-defensive team uh, to, to really prove it, you know. Um, and I think you've seen those guys' ability, Kemba and, and Jeremy, their ability to be a little bit more crafty around the rim uh, and definitely better with splitting uh, splitting the doubles and, and things like that. They've been really great there. Um, Drodic has, has struggled, definitely. Um, but, you know, you got to give credit to those guys. Jeremy Lin, I think, has been – uh, one of the best players in the playoffs so far. And, you know, for him to be the best player offensively for the Hornets, I think he's, he might be leading the team in, in plus minus. I think that's the case. Um, you know, it was really surprising considering uh, coming into the season. I mean, he, he's been good, but I, I, didn't, I don't think most people would expect him to be the one uh, shining the most here. Miami inserts uh, Josh McRoberts in a significant way for the first time in this series and a first time in a long time for, for the Miami Heat in general. Uh, do you think that Miami is uh, overthinking their lineups and rotations a, a little bit and 
you know, in response basically to the Hornets uh, having them on their heels now with three straight victories? And, and do you think that the Heat will try to simplify things in game six, get a few more minutes for uh, the guys that matter, Wade Johnson and Whiteside? Yeah, I think it shows that Eric Spolster is searching for something, right? Uh, and I think this is where you start to see uh, the loss of Chris Bosh really being felt here. Uh, if they do want to go away from a bigger lineup, maybe because of Hassan Whiteside's struggles defensively or maybe because he's he's laboring a bit because of uh, the injuries he's kind of been dealing with here uh, over the past few games, uh, you could tell that his options are a little bit more limited. Uh, you know, we haven't seen Josh McRoberts for – a long time uh, in the series, and all of a sudden he's playing big minutes. You saw Udonis Haslam get in there, and, uh, you know, that's just not an ideal situation. Uh, Spolstra has done a great job this season, and, and Clifford will be the first one to tell you this, of uh, reinventing the Heat post-Bosch and, and kind of tr- like changing their entire defense and offense from, from the Big Three era. And it's really been impressive, especially what they did in those first two games. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, you know, he's running out of options here. He might get Tyler Johnson back. So, so that could be a, 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 you know, something that turns the tide, especially with the Hornets seemingly losing guys, whereas the, the Heat might be gaining guys. Um, but, but at the very least, you know, Spoh's kind of just throwing everything out there, hoping it'll work. And I think that favors the Hornets a little bit there. I, I think you're right as well, and, and you, you segued perfectly into uh, our game preview coming up because we're going to talk about uh, Tyler Johnson, who has a little bit of a, a history uh, with the Hornets, interesting history. Um, but final question for you, Justin. I, I know that uh, obviously the Spencer injury will, will affect the rotation, uh, but guys are starting to heal up uh, for the Hornets. Uh, they don't have Nick Batum or Cody Zeller listed in any form on the on the injury list. Clifford has some calls to make when it comes to his starting lineup moving forward. What's the plan for Friday night's game? Yeah, I think I think it's the same same deal. Um, you know, I think as the parts keep moving around, you saw with with Nick Batum going out, things kind of still stay the same. Uh, I think Clifford really made a big point there of saying after game two to all this media, and, and we've talked about this before last week, I think, guys, um, you know, he's going to keep doing the same thing. They're not going to change the game plan per se, uh, but at the very least they're going to try to execute better. Uh, and I, I still don't think they did anything significantly different uh, in 34 and 5 there with the wins. Uh, maybe they, they had more success pushing the ball down the middle. Maybe they did a little bit better job of executing defensively. Uh, they definitely cleaned things up. And I think for a team like the Charlotte Hornets, uh, they're going to they're gonna thrive based on their ability to do all those little things a little bit better. Uh, as I was mentioning before, I just keep coming back to that. Just the fewest turnovers are in the lowest turnover ratios in each of the first three seasons of Steve Clifford's career um, with the Hornets as a head coach. Uh, it's just really impressive to me, and, and you kind of see how the team has taken that on here. Um, so, you know, maybe things change a little bit. Maybe they get a little bit smaller, which could have its effect on things. But, you know, I think there is some comfortability there because that's how they play th- pretty much the whole season, especially when, when Cody got in there and, and, and played five. Um, so we'll see how it works out. It, it probably plays into the Heat's hands a little bit more, so it might be a little bit more concerned. But at the same time, there, there's the comfortability there. They know this uh, type of offense. Maybe it gives them a little bit more uh, stretch in their game, maybe a little bit more success in the three-point arc. Um, it's probably a coin flip there. And, and you know, considering that the, the Hornets are at home, you know, you'd hope that they might be favored. 
Steve Clifford always leaning on those basic principles and the balance between offense and defense. Great insight, Justin, who is uh, coming to us from a Best Buy. Hey, Justin, I I, I need a a couple of AA batteries. If you could pick those up, trust me, I'm good for it. I promise. All right, I'm your guy. (laughs) Hey, enjoy Game 6 in Charlotte. I can tell you it's going to be an amazing crowd, and, and thanks for joining us today. All right, thanks, guys. Follow Justin on Twitter at Justin Verrier. Great stuff, and and he's writing some great stuff on ESPN.com too. So so go check him out there. Uh, and we got to touch on the Spencer injury again. I, I mentioned that Spencer Hawes and Cody Zeller combined to uh, provide some good paint defense versus some of those smaller lineups that like to drive into the paint as opposed to you know the the Hassan Whiteside type of of offense in the paint. But also something that I think goes missed is that you know he played 15 minutes in that Game 5 when Kemba was exhausted. Lynn looked exhausted. Lee looked exhausted. You had Nick Batum and Cody Zeller both nursing injuries. And so you needed a ninth guy in that circumstance to come in and, and play a role and give certain guys in different situations uh, a minutes to breathe and minutes to rest. And now you don't have that guy. And I commented during the game that it's amazing that the Hornets had someone with the skill set that Hawes has being able to make that backdoor pass, being able to knock down the three occasionally. And even his little his little bunny runner that looks really weird and, and probably shocked a lot of Miami fans. Like he can hit that. He can do things and obviously rebound. He can do things in a ball game that that help you win. And now the Hornets will not have that for the foreseeable future. And and I think that's, while it may not be as significant a blow as the Nick Batum absence would have been, I think it's still something when you talk about the, the Hornets have an advantage over the Heat right now. It's not the starting lineup, it's the reserves. And Spencer Hawes was a part of that in Game 5, and I, and I think they'll miss that. Uh, let's go back. I want to do some shout-outs before we get to Daniel Coughlin here at 645. Little shout-outs. Little uh, how do you do? Little hat tip. How do you do? Little uh, good game, kid. Nice job in game five. First, I got to go to Cody Zeller, who was, again, nursing a knee injury that had happened in the previous game. Wasn't talked about a lot. Getting a lot of treatment. Goes into the stands. Uh, probably uh, hurts it a little more just doing that. But he gives up his body. But I'm giving him a shout-out for setting some monster screens. If you go back and look at that fourth quarter, a lot of those three-pointers by Batum and others were set up by amazing screens by Cody Zeller. Not something that he was known for when he first got into the league. He was playing alongside Biombo, and it was Biombo who we looked at as the guy who could set really monster screens. But Cody Zeller, he's bulked up, he's strong, he's putting his body in the right position. And I thought a small a great adjustment that the Hornets made was getting Cody Zeller higher in the pick and roll, and it allowed Kemba to come off it. Josh Richardson got eaten up a couple of times and and gave Kemba and others the space to make something happen beyond the three-point line, which we haven't seen. So shout-out to Cody Zeller. Justin, you got a shout-out? Yes, I do. I'm trying to debate if he's my third one. For my first two, I would like to give a nice shout-out to Al Jefferson. Nice. And Marvin Williams. You're probably wondering why these two guys. Because I am wondering that they were smart. There were two intelligence, two dunks in the lane. Luau Dang, 
Dwayne Wade. Mm-hmm. They both jumped. And then they realized, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, we don't want to get put on a poster. Let's come be on. smart. Marvin, Al, they Shout both were out. smart. They were very smart for that one. And the third one, you know, I had to go out to the guy that I don't believe is 6'1", 184 pounds. Kimball Walker. Out there running hard. Fighting through a bad shooting performance. Hard to tell uh, Goran Dragic, not in my house. Oh, the, yeah, block the block late in the game showed grit. It showed toughness. Yes, I'm tired. But damn it, we're trying to win. He gave one, and, and it was great because he sort of faked like he was going to dig down. And then it just with everything he had left in him, and you knew he was tired. Everything left in him, he he made on that recovery and got the block on Goran Dragic. It. it was great. I, absolutely I have two more shout-outs. i got to give a shout-out to Gabrielle Union, wife of Dwayne Wade, for going full stage mom on Twitter over the foul on uh, the, the foul that she saw on Dwayne Wade that the NBA officials did not see not being called. I mean, there's nothing more than uh, being called out on Twitter by – um, uh, you know, a, a rich celebrity that that referees love more. So, thank you, Gabrielle Union, for doing that, uh, bringing that to the referees' attention. I'm sure that they will take that and uh, put that in their pocket. Also, shout out to a spiritual soothing session. Courtney Lee asked about how he summoned that go-ahead three after the game. Cited a discussion he had about faith while getting a massage. I love it. Faith is a big part of this team. Marvin, Lynn, and Lee all very vocal about their faith. I don't know if they're any more vocal, Justin, than other teams about their faith, but they are known as a team that is calm under pressure. They have a lot of resolve, and they continue to believe in each other. And and those are all things that I associate with faith. I mean, this is an even kill team, and I think that uh, you you have to have guys on your lo- in your locker room that that do have either faith in each other or just faith you know in general and and i think it's a good thing for the hornets however you get your zen on courtney whether it's in a chapel or a towel more power to you can i throw one more in there yeah Dwayne wade did hit courtney lee with that vicious uh the uh, under between the legs i mean reverse between the legs yeah courtney stayed on two feet <sighs> I've seen I've seen Wade drop some guys just like that. Oh, Not yeah. only did he stand on two feet, he watched Wade break it. He did he did better than um Josh McRoberts. He I've, got put on roller skates. I've by, seen some guys go down he off went that to, move. Oh, Kimba Kimba put uh put Josh McRoberts in the roller disco. Yes. He he, hey, he, he asked him funky. about his ankles. He asked him about his ankles on that one. Yeah. That he was did. tough. Hey, you know what's killing Miami offensively, in my mind? They can't shoot. Wow, you nailed it. <laughs> Guys are struggling to shoot threes, and they're passing up wide open threes. Dwayne Wade, chief among them. Look, if you're wide open, that normally means the defense is set on the rest of their matchups, plus there's one extra defender, a.k.a. your defender, roving around somewhere. So if you pass it up, if you're Dwayne Wade and you have a wide open three and you pass it up, you're essentially throwing it into the Wolves' den, and then you've got to make several other passes to recover. So if you're passing up this wide-open three, and Dwayne Wade did this a few times late into the shot clock, you're, you're, you are significantly taking the chances that you're going to get a good look after that down for your team. It, it really hurt Miami offensively and helped the Hornets. Ball movement is great. Everybody loves to get the ball going around, let it touch people's hands. But you got to shoot your shot. But there's shot. a difference. You can pass one too many. And what makes it worse, 
is they'll pass up a good shot and they'll go in the lane and throw something up and you'd be like, you just had a higher percentage shot right back there. What did you do? You passed it. Don't make things difficult. It's already the playoffs. It's already going to be a tougher game. Don't make it hard on yourselves, Miami. You're better than that. Yeah, and and as we talked about with Justin Verrier, Miami is searching. They're scrambling to find adjustments. They did put in Josh McRoberts, and Spolstra said that he did that to help guard Jeremy Lin and Kimba Walker on the pick and rolls. And it's always, I think, it's always great when when your team makes the other team make adjustments. And the Heat did that to the Hornets in games one and two. Luckily, the Hornets responded. And, and I think uh, Coach Clifford has done a – he's coaching his ass off out there, and he's he's made the right adjustments so far, and the players have responded to those adjustments. Everyone's working as a team. Nick Batum says, hey, put me on the bench, Coach. I could make a contribution there. Everything seems to be moving sl- smoothly. It's just it's, – it's so great to see uh, what the Hornets are doing out there, and they have to do it for one more game. And I'll say this about Dwayne Wade. You better believe – that he's not going to pass it up in Game 6. I fully expect Dwayne Wade to try to go for 30, 40 points. If he don't take 20 shots, I'm going to be thoroughly disappointed. No, he has to. And Joe Johnson as well, I thought, has been way too passive in this series for Miami. I think if you're Miami, you play those guys 40 minutes, you have, you've got to do it. I mean, this is, this this is, is the, the elimination game. And for the Hornets, you know, they have to do – I think they have to have that same mentality because – you can, I don't think you can go back to Miami game seven, 1 no. p.m. tip. No. I just don't see that turning out no. well for the Hornets. I know they got a road win, but it took everything. everything. And a little had, bit of luck. And a lot of bit of luck. And, 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 some, and some officiating that was definitely, you could define as, loose. If you thought it was correct, great. If you thought it was incorrect, fine. But it was definitely loose. And you don't know, you get different referee crews. You don't know if that next time you're in Miami, if it's going to be that way. I just think you you definitely, you have to win game six in Charlotte if you're the Hornets or you you will be uh, in trouble. Okay, we've got to go back out to the Hive Talk live hotline and uh, talk to our man uh, from at the Hive. Nope, not quite ready yet. Okay, we'll we'll wait just a, a few minutes on that. We got we we, we got to talk can... about game six too. We still okay. haven't gotten into our preview yet. I want to ask you real quick, but while we're waiting on uh, uh, Daniel to get on the line, same starting group. We got that from Justin Verrier. Same starting group for the Hornets. Frank Kaminsky, uh, Al Jefferson still in the starting lineup. Nick Batum coming off the bench. Is that the right call? It is. I I don't think you. In the words of Steve Clifford, let's not make any knee jerk reactions right here. Does losing Spencer Hawes hurt? It does. But right now, I feel like this is a must win. Even though they're at home, I feel like this is a must win. I don't think you make any drastic changes. I think you tell your guys this. Hey, you guys are going to play a lot of minutes. Play clean and don't foul. Because at this rate, everybody's tired. Like, you're going to be tired. But, you know, you just got to go out and leave it all on the line. All right, let's get out. Let's go to the line. Let's go to the Hive Talk Live hotline where uh, we have a first-time guest, Daniel Coughlin, uh, one of the newest writers at at the Hive. Daniel, thanks for taking the time out. 
Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We want to get your opinion on what we just talked about. I know we brought you on to talk about Raptors and and Pacers, but I want to get your thoughts on this as well. Same starting group for Clifford and company. Uh, Jefferson will start again. Frank Kaminsky will start again, and they'll bring Nick Batum off the bench. Is that the right call, in your opinion, even if you have a healthy Nick Batum? Well, I think that's the catch right there, right? You're talking about if you have a healthy Nick Batum. Um, if he's healthy, I mean, Clifford's shown that he's going he's gonna to roll with that. With, with his current lineup, um, I mean, when you look at what Frank Kaminsky's been able to do in spurts, I mean, he had that huge third quarter that we're all fully aware of. Um, you know, as a Wisconsinite, myself as a Scotty, pretty proud of that quarter. Probably will let that overshadow the rest of his play in my eyes. Um, but, you know, he's going to have to vary his lineup. And I, it, depending on who's, who we end up facing, if we advance. And, and I, I believe that going back to back to that Batum lineup is likely going to be the right choice uh, for, the, you know, for the next round if we get that far. Yeah, I'm not sure, guys, that there's a starting lineup that you could throw out there that would be significantly better than what Miami can toss out, especially in Game 6 when they're going to go heavy on the starting unit with Wade Johnson and Whiteside. I just don't know that there's a lineup that the Hornets could throw out there that would be significantly better on both sides of the floor. So I think it's smart what Clifford is doing is uh, basically hedging some of his talent into that second unit where they can find some advantages against Miami, where you have Justice Winslow and Josh Richardson struggling mightily, the two rookies, offensively. I think you keep attacking where it's working. Yes, it's not working in the starting unit, but you have to attack where it's working. All right, let's. Uh, so we brought you on, Daniel, because you are helping to cover the uh, Raptors Pacers series for the Lottery Mafia. And now that the Hornets are one game away, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but they could face one of these teams in the second round. We're not counting chickens, we're not putting horses before wagons, but you've been keeping an eye on this series. Uh, uh, tell us uh, what are a few things people should know about this series and how each team is playing. <laughs> well, uh, entertaining probably, uh, confusing definitely, and for Pacers and Raptors fans probably frustrating. Um, there's a couple of good things out there that you know um, that you can reference. Of course, if you have time to read on the internet, a great piece by Eric Corrine over at uh, Vice Sports, um, where he kind of talked about that uh, last uh, fourth quarter meltdown there for you know for the uh, Pacers and kind of you know what did that have to do with the Raptors? <laughs> right? I mean, wow. Um, as far as the uh, as far as the two teams are concerned, um, you you obviously have to assume that. Well, maybe you don't have to obviously. I personally would just assume you, you want to play the Pacers. Um, Paul George is going to Paul George. He's very talented. He's Paul Georging you know, on. And correct me if I'm wrong, Daniel, but he's Paul Georging on a level that he hasn't Paul Georged in a while. Yeah, no, you're completely right there. He's he's been phenomenal, and it doesn't matter what the outcome of the game is. He's getting his. He's locking down on defense. He's scoring. Um, you know, maybe it's a confidence thing. He finally, you know, really locking into that playoff basketball and that mentality and that aggressive attacking winner of a home mentality. It probably took a long time to recover from that really, you know, that freak injury he had. So in terms of the Raptors, I know that there may be some injury concerns uh, with their point guard, 
um, Kyle Lowry and and some performance concerns with DeMar DeRozan. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Um, as far as like, I don't have too much on the injury thing with uh, Kyle Lowry other than that, you know, he's obviously a very important part of this team. They they ran him, I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, they ran him the entire fourth quarter in that comeback against the Pacers, no rest. Um, he's facilitating, he's scoring, He's he's been struggling this series. I think he's shooting somewhere in the low 30s total for the series is what I've been seeing so far. I think, yeah, 31.4% for the series. Yeah, I think our, yeah, our, our fearless leader, Josh Priemski, talked to me a little bit about this series and said apparently there's some kind of something going on with his elbow that uh, some writers have claimed to see a half golf ball size lump on his elbow and that could be contributing to some of his uh, shooting woes but he's been like you said he's been playing a ton of minutes fantastic defense hustle focus still facilitating a lot I think it sort of mirrors not with injury, but it sort of mirrors what's happening to Kimba Walker where his shooting has fallen away and he's had to find other ways to impact the game. Exactly. You know, and you can document some of his hustle and, you know, really, yeah, you're right. 30, basically at 39 minutes a game, which is, you know, significantly more than even DeMar DeRozan, who's like almost a full four minutes less as their next, you know, heaviest minutes guy. Um, I think what you see with the, with the Raptors, what they do is they, they are a little perplexing because uh, Jonas Valanciunas, um, he's had a really good series uh, in spurts also. I, I mean, I don't know what, if Casey's intentionally going away from him. When I'm watching him, I, I, I get confused by it because he'll start six for seven. They'll go away from that. Um, some, of the, some of their dynamics that the Hornets run would work well against them. In some regard, um, if Kyle Lowry is going to continue to shoot 31%, um, you can you can keep going under on him and you can keep packing the pain on, on the big men for the Raptors, kind of like what they've been doing with, with Miami. Um, but if, if Lowry can correct that, then that's going to make things much more difficult for them. Yeah, it seems, and, and, and you've been keeping a closer eye on this series than I have, but it seems like, you know, when you look at the Miami Charlotte series, both of these teams really strategizing against one another, throwing some different things that neither team has seen during the regular season, and that's why you see some of these lower offensive numbers. But when I look at this Raptors-Pacers series, I see two teams who are generally playing the same styles as they did in the regular season and getting decent looks or at least similar looks that they would have gotten against one another in the regular season and just for whatever reason, not converting. Is is that yeah. is that a pretty good evaluation? Yeah, um, you know there is a lot of that, and there's a lot of perplexing stuff too. Like, okay, Patrick Patterson, you know, people want to see him do more. Terrence Ross, people have said, you know, okay, you know, where's he at? And they've been up and down again. You know, there's a lot of it, it's surprising that you get to the playoffs and see this inconsistency. Not just from a seven seed, you would expect them maybe to struggle a little bit, especially when Paul George is, you know, so much further ahead of everyone else on that Pacers team in terms of his ability to impact the game. But then you're also seeing it from the Raptors. And so it's, it's resulted in a very entertaining series, but kind of what you, you know, what you're going to expect coming out uh, from here based on, you know, just all sorts of stuff all over the place. I mean, Louis Scola. Okay. He's apparently starting in the playoffs. Okay. Yeah. I mean, just different. Everyone, it seems like in this uh, Toronto 
Indiana series and also in this Miami Hornets series, they're just searching for little advantages here and there. That's what that's what you love about the playoffs, I think. Just that you have to find and scratch and claw and dig into your and dig into your book and and try to pull or dig into your hat and try to pull a trick out. Uh, last question here, Daniel. Here with Daniel Coughlin, uh, writer for AtTheHive.com and TheLotteryMafia.com. Daniel, I, I think if the Hornets had their druthers, they'd like to get back to the playing style that they had in the regular season. It was loose. It was fast. It was a lot of motion. There was a lot of three-point shooting. Could they do that against either of these teams the way that they're playing now in this Raptors-Pacers series? Is there a team you go, yeah, you know, against Toronto – they could really get back to playing that same style. Great question. And we'd love to see that, right? Especially from Marvin Williams, who had a career year from deep, really you know, impacting the game in that aspect of the floor. Um, what you're looking at from the two teams, I guess, uh, when we look at what they've done so far in this postseason, um, neither of them, again, like you said, have shot particularly well. Some of that's going to come down to uh, defensive players, you know, really – really covering their, you know, their rotations and, and closing out. And I think the strength of the strength of both squads is probably going to be, you know, again, they're bigger guys in the Hindi and uh, Miles Turner have played pretty well inside. Um, as far as hitting those three point shots against those teams, if you're going to go out to the outside, you probably want to, you want to see the Pacers. If you uh, be my take on that, based on what I've seen in this series, um, both teams are getting good looks, but, it's just, you know, you're going to get – so they are they are producing looks against each other, right, and getting their style going. And you would hope that Charlotte would be able to do the same kind of thing uh, against, you know, either team if they end up advancing to the next round. Um, but I, I think the team where they're going to feel the most comfortable doing that is definitely against the Indiana Pacers. He's Daniel Coughlin. He writes for AtTheHive.com and TheLotteryMafia.com. You can follow him on Twitter at XVanWilderX. Daniel, thank you so much for the insight into that series, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Great stuff there from Daniel. And I I think if you're a Hornets fan, you have to want to play the Pacers because for one simple fact, you get home court advantage. And home court has been so important to the Hornets that, you know, the Raptors have not been playing well at all. It, 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 you know, this is not as simple as, oh, well, you know, the Raptors are the better team, so of course you want the Pacers. Because the Raptors haven't been playing well at e- either, but with the Pacers you get that sweet home court advantage. But they've beaten the, the Raptors too. It would be the perfect storm. For Charlotte to win tomorrow. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, though, Steve. We're doing and, it. We're doing and, what we said we wouldn't do. Okay. Well, just, let's, all right, let's just glance ahead. Charlotte wins tomorrow. They take care of business. And somehow they find a way to play Indiana with home court advantage? I don't. I just don't know if the Pacers can really pull this thing out because, like— Heck, no. They don't have enough firepower. I they don't, don't have enough. That's a problem. Monta is not playing like— He's just not having that same success because I, I think Monte Ellis and the success that he had uh, a year ago, a lot of that was he had found a rhythm and a two-man game with Dirk Nowitzki, and he just hasn't been able to find that partner out on the court to make his offense work, to make that person's offense work. Uh, him and George just haven't really found that special something. And uh, George Hill, they it doesn't seem to be the three-point shooting uh, monster that he once was. 
So there's a lot of issues there in Indiana. And, you know, then they had my, you, you go and look at Miles Turner, who did a lot of good things, but was a guy that the Hornets essentially knocked out of the rotation. And they swept the Pacers three times in the regular season. So if you're a Hornets fan, I don't think there's much question. You want to see the Pacers, but I don't think that the Raptors would be a gimme for Toronto either. I think the Hornets um, could force them. I don't know if they would necessarily go back to that uh, free-flowing style. Maybe they stay aggressive and stay big against Toronto and and try to bully them. Uh, it, It will be interesting if they can get by Miami, and that's a big if, if they can get by Miami, game six at home with a chance to win is a it's a really tough game to win. I wouldn't mind watching Al Jefferson and Bismack Biombo go at it. We're going to go into overtime. I'm sorry. I hope you can stay. I hope you're okay. If you can if you can put off your your dinner for just a few more minutes because I really want to dig into this game six preview and we haven't touched it at all. Can you stay with me? You can have the rest of this. I gave you one of my precious. Raspberry Nutrigrain bars. You know, it's all right. That $5 box won't go anywhere. All right. Yeah, I'm exactly. good to go. All right. So let's talk about game six. Again, we talked about the starting group with uh, Nick Batum coming off the bench, going to be very important for that to stay effective for the Hornets. But I want to give you a few numbers, numbers here, Justin, that even you will like. Oh, God. These are statistics that even you will like. 82.7% of teams that win game five after going two and two in games one through four, win the series 82.7% of the time. So that number favors, obviously, the Charlotte Hornets. Also, Miami Heat, they've lost three straight road games. The Hornets uh, were a little worse than the Heat in terms of road records, but not by much. The Heat have lost eight of their last road ga- 11 road games. And if Steve Clifford were here right now, he'd say, wait a minute. The Hornets were bad in the first half of the season on the road, but in the second half, they played a lot better on the road. And he would, you know, immediately admonish anyone for saying that the Hornets were a bad team on the road. So the Hornets have have turned things around on the road, and obviously they did in Game 5, so that will be important. Let's talk about what we're going to be watching in this pivotal Game 6. Justin, I'm going to be watching Hassan Whiteside versus Al Jefferson. Justin Verrier, who we had on earlier from ESPN.com, alluded to this, but I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Hassan Whiteside figured out Al Jefferson a little bit. I think he's kind of like the Borg from Star Trek. He adapted, and and resistance may be a little futile for Al Jefferson because Whiteside did not foul, didn't get into early foul trouble, which has plagued him through this series. And, and he was able to defend several Al Jefferson possessions effectively and, and not bite on his variety of fakes. Yep, because you know, you know when somebody stays on their feet, Al looks to the ref after he misses it. He foul. starts tapping on that arm. Foul, like Al. Ain't nobody foul you, man. He was smart. There was he one where go he, for where he, Yeah, he, fa- he bumped into Hassan, and Hassan just stood there, and then he faked back, and then bumped into again, again, and then forced up a shot, and it missed. And, and turned right to the ref. I was like, oh, Al. <laughs> foul. Foul. I was sitting there like, Al, come on, my man. Like, well, what? What are you going to be watching in this, in this game six? You know, I'm going to be watching how Miami comes out. What, what are they going to give Charlotte? Are they going to say... Yeah, you guys made some threes. We don't think you can do it again. Or they're going to say, wait, you guys are at home. Mm, you might be able to make some threes. Let's give you the paint. And also, with that being said, I want to see how patient Charlotte is. 
if they realize, okay, hey, they're closing out hard. Let's not force these threes. Let's take what they're given. Let's go to the paint. Let's get them in foul trouble. So I really want to see their patience because I raved about them being poised the other night. And it's easy for a game of this magnitude to get a little to get a little outside yourself. You know, maybe speed up a little bit or or do things that's out of your character. But I think this is the game they need to be patient. They say in the playoffs, the game slows down. And I think they continue to do what they've done all year. Well, excuse me, all series since the big adjustment. Well, yeah, Whatever d- Miami gives them, you take advantage. Yeah, defensively, I think they have to recognize that Dwayne Wade and Joe Johnson are going to try to put this game on their back. And you have to find a way to take them away. This is the hard part. This is When I say it in my head, it sounds difficult. You have to find a way to take their isolation games away without giving up too much to Hassan Whiteside. Those two things don't make sense because you've got to help in some way to keep Dwayne Wade from getting into those ISO situations. But that's going. This was the conundrum in Game One and Two, and the Hornets couldn't find a way to really stop either of those things, and that's why the the Heat decided to to run up the score in in record numbers. But they're going to have to have that same task again. Do you know what's scary? Dwayne Wade, Ghost. nor Spiders. Joe Johnson have had a great game. Like usually in a series, the star will at least have one great game. Like prime example, I'm a James Harden fan. They lost in five. He had one great game. At the worst, he had Ooh, one. No. Dwayne Wade has had a good game. Joe Johnson has had a good game, and you're wondering. Neither okay, has had a a great stellar game. game. Like yeah. Kimba goes for 34. That was a great game for Kimba. This is when you were. I think this is the time where Courtney Lee has to make sure he has some legs. And he has to stay on his feet. I think Courtney Lee, he could go 0 for 8 or 0 for 9. But if he could frustrate Wade and give Wade one of those 5 for 14 or 5 for 15s, he could be the MVP. I want to tell you what Jeremy Lin will be watching. And he's going to be watching an ever-changing Miami defense. They're such a capable defensive team. Obviously, it's supposed to have been around for so long. He knows you know, every trick in the book. And so... Uh, we just had to be expected to be prepared for anything, really, any type of coverage, whether it's a soft, a switch, a, a blitz, um, a hedge, anything. Um, you know, they've done it all. Miami has done it all. They've thrown out a variety of different looks on defense, and you you really have to – you can't come into the game with a mindset of, I'm going to do this. You have to read them. And the Hornets over the past couple of games have done a good job of reading the situations in in spurts. They haven't done it really well across an entire game. But when the game has been on the line, they've done a great job of reading how Miami attacks them defensively and then trying to find a way to take advantage of that. I want to give listeners a name that we referenced earlier in the show, a name that even hardcore fans may have forgotten about, and that's Heat Reserve Guard Tyler Johnson. He's been out a while for the Heat with a shoulder injury. He was uh, listed as a- he was activated for the first time in a long time for the Heat in Game 5 as an emergency option. He's listed as questionable for Game 6. And this is a dynamic guy, folks. Uh, December 9th, I don't know if you remember this game, Justin, uh, the Heat visiting Charlotte, and Tyler Johnson off the bench went 6 of 12, 20 points, most of those at the rim. He loves to get to the rim. He loves to get to the free throw line. He's a great athletic finisher. This guy's got ups, and he can slam a put back if you fall asleep on him. That's the scouting report on Tyler Johnson. But most importantly, 
Scratch all of those things. Scratch the scouting report. You're talking about if you can get this guy into the rotation, A, it gives you some firepower on your bench, which you haven't had because Justice Winslow and Josh Richardson have, at least Richardson has hit a big shot or two, but then he airballed that three in game five that really hurt the heat. But that youth, they haven't been able to lean on those guys in the past three games you bring Tyler Johnson, he's seen it. He's been in the D-League a long time. Like He's seen a lot, and, and he's he'll be fully, 100%, ready to go. He'll have legs, which uh, you can't say that about a lot of guys in this Nobody. series at this point. He'll be able to get by some guys and, and get some easy buckets. That's a name to watch in Game 6. He's been working out. Every time I get, I say every time, like they've been here 15 times. The times, um, I usually like to get to the arena around like 4.44 or 5 o'clock, and he's out there working out. Um, But I'm pretty sure Clifford is in there saying, there's no chance they play him. There is no chance. So Tyler Johnson, I think he is a name to look for next season. I don't think there's, I don't think there's, excuse me. Let Any me not chance. mess that up. I don't, don't think, think there's, there's a chance, chance. Spolstra throws him out there. Not in a game of this magnitude, no chance. I think, look, I think I didn't think they would throw McRoberts in game five, but they did. But you know what? I, I can't even lie to you. When I saw McBob out there, I was like, McRoberts? Listen, you, I, I think, I think Spolstra would be insane not to use, if Tyler Johnson is truly ready to go and ready to contribute, I just think... There, there's no like messing up chemistry at this. This series is so muddled. This series has been so weird, and it's been adjustment versus adjustment versus adjustment. You, you, you can't throw. There's no chemistry to throw off. If you've got a guy who has fresher legs than anyone on the court that can drive the lane, that can get you even more points in the paint, that can beat quick guards like Jeremy Lin and 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 Courtney Lee and Kimba Walker, then you put him in there. So I, I think it would be insane. I'd say, you if know they who don't. has some legs? I saw Jeremy Lin was the last guy to leave practice today. He stayed and got up some three-point shots. He's got a legs. Nobody else, nobody else stayed after. Knows how to use them. MKG was working on his ball handling um, with with Coach Silas. That was a good sign. But Jeremy Lin says, hey, you know, I can have my legs fresh. You know, in the offseason, you know, I'm in overground right now. So I thought that was pretty unique. Listen, forget Dwayne Wade, forget Tyler Johnson, forget arms, forget legs. For Kimba Walker, game six is all about mouths, communication. Let's hear from Kimba. You know, during the games, our communication has just helped us a lot more than anything. So, you know, being that, you know, we're out there talking and, you know, helping each other out just made things a lot easier. It's going to make it easier, certainly, than Game 5, where crowd noise was an issue for guys like Courtney Lee who were waiting on Marvin Williams to call out the defensive coverage. So communication going to be key as they figure out how to defend Miami's multifaceted attack. and, and Backdoor cuts. Backdoor cuts, baseline cuts. They, they've figured those out for now. But I'm telling you, folks, if you're, if you're going to be in the building or you're watching at home, the, Miami's going to bring it. They're going to bring gonna every, and game. they've got star power and they've got guys that can hit tough shots. This is going to be a game. There's two types of playoff games. There, there's the game where one team comes in with a better strategy than the other team and, and runs them off the floor. We've seen a couple of those games in this series, but for the most part, these last couple of games have been the other kind of playoff game where you go on a couple runs back and forth. It's pretty even, and then at the end of the game, it's about 
which team can muster one defensive stop, which team can have a guy that comes in, doesn't think, just shoots, just drives, just makes the most pivotal shot in the game. And oftentimes it's a couple of those that happen right one after the other. And that's why teams with LeBron James tend to move on and why teams without that type of player do not move on. That's why Nick Batum is so important in this series. How important, Justin, would a series win to be would how important would it be for the city of Charlotte and for this franchise? It I don't would, I don't think you can understate it. It would be huge. When I first started watching this franchise, there was Mike Dunlap. I remember going to games where it might have been eleven thousand people there. And there are a lot of people in this town that care about basketball. In this state, a lot of people really genuinely care about basketball. And it started it started with the name coming back. And that brought a lot of buzz, a lot of energy. And, you know, things haven't always been pretty this season. Um, and even with the Panthers, um, them falling short. But they they just stay with that mantra of, of keep pounding. And North Carolina hasn't had a lot of success this year with their sports teams. You had the Panthers. You had UNC go down. And I think a lot of people are emotionally invested. I had a guy at work, you know, come by and tap me on the shoulder and say, great game last night, right? Like, nobody wait, wait, ever talks you? about this. Nobody <laughs> You haven't talked ever. to me in months. Nobody. And that's what it does. A, a lot of people are excited. You know, people are asking about the games. You have sellout crowds, people standing on their feet. And this would really be huge. Um, sports, it's an escape for a lot of people. And this would be really big. You you know what? You bring up a great point. Playoff wins cause curiosity. Playoff wins cause casual fans to to, their ears to perk up and go, wait a minute. What's up with the the Hornets? I thought they were terrible. I've known people who have bought last second tickets for this game. But series wins provide hope and hope gets you in the arena in the regular season. Hope will drive you to see a team in the regular season when you wouldn't have normally because you think this team has a chance to compete for something greater. So that's why series wins are so crucial. And I think it would be even bigger if the Hornets were to get that first seven-game series. 14 years. 14 years since any series win. That's a long time. And this would be a seven-game series win. My goodness, it would be uh, monumental. And to do it in front of, of the home crowd makes it something even more special. Go ahead. Um, after the after the game four win, as I was heading to the locker room of the rare sighting of the mythical creature, there was Michael Jordan hugging Steve Clifford and just overwhelmed with joy. And a lot of people have talk, taken a lot, a lot of shots at Jordan about being a, a lazy owner or just trying to have his name out there. And you, if you've watched the games, Jordan is is invested not only financially but emotionally. And and to see that moment with Clifford and Jordan um, outside of the locker room, it it shows that this means a lot. A win tomorrow night, it'd be huge for a lot of people, and it would do a lot of great things for this team and this franchise moving forward. Jack Abrams on Twitter, a good. Uh, he's been a long time listener. I don't know. This was thirty minutes ago, so I apologize, Jack. We we were in some intense discussions, but he has a quick question here. Where in Uptown would you suggest? watching this next game other than Fitzgerald's and the Hive. Uh, Uptown, I've got two suggestions. Queen City Q has a great atmosphere, lots of televisions. They support the team. 
and uh, Epicenter um, uh, Wild Wing Cafe. They do a lot of the watch parties there, so they are are good with the team and they support the team. So, and they have a lot of TVs. One more and, suggestion. Yeah, go ahead. If you can get outside of Uptown and go to All American Pub in South End. It's right also, across, uh, or it's right near the studio. I mean, it's, it's going to be a nice day tomorrow. They have TVs outside and inside. There will be plenty of options, but South End, I'd say Wild Wing Cafe are probably the, the top two of mine. Yeah, uh, 8 o'clock tip. Again, that uh, game is going to be broadcast on ESPN nationally and Fox Sports Southeast locally. Enjoy, listen, win or lose, Hornets fans, enjoy this experience. The Hornets have an opportunity to eliminate a team in a playoff series and you know the worst that can happen is we get an awesome game seven in Miami That's the worst yeah and, and look this team has overcome adversity all season long so even though both of us were pretty negative on the chances that doesn't mean anything because this team has shown time after time resolve and, and amazing things so uh, that'll do it for this edition of Hive Talk Live thanks so much to our guest uh, Justin Verrier from ESPN Dot com and of course Daniel Coughlin from at the hive.com and the lottery mafia follow us on Twitter Facebook and Instagram at hive talk live we're going to be live tweeting this game for sure uh, live game updates and more there on Twitter go to at the hive.com for all the latest news and analysis on your Charlotte Hornets listen to ESPN 7:30 a.m anytime anywhere at ESPN 730.com or the ESPN radio app for Justin I'm Doug saying stay bought in stay believing one more game all hail the deal in purple It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.